0: We are dead! We are all dead! We were supposed to make the world
1: a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu.
2: You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain.
1: I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore!
2: This whole thing is insane!
1: This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the
3: United States of Zombie Land. This whole thing is insane. Man is evil,
1: capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be. Are you a God fearing man, Senator? It's such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me.
0: Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for thee in this eternal now and in this Red Bill Cafeteria. How about a teaser on Astronosis, leading to a more extensive discussion on the dark forces that plague us today? It doesn't get better than Mitch Horowitz and Richard Smoley together at the virtual Alexandria. My astral guests also shared their latest research from new slash upcoming books. So expect a treasure trove on modern occultism, mysticism, and non local psychic phenomena. It's just a hunk of hunk of burning gnosis. And yes, don't forget that both physical and online tickets for Astronosis 2 are available. The event is two weeks away. Find out more in the show notes and get to understand the Demiurge and Archons like never before. Really hope to see you there. Life is short, time is running out, and it's rare that we can meet and elevate each other with our Gnosis. Get ready in a few days for a more traditional podcast as we discuss narcissism and psychopathy, collective and individual, and relate these issues to the Gnostic myths. Very intense but useful content. Don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, video game, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or whatever. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. And don't forget, too, I do have an Amazon wishlist and a fantastic merch store. I can't do it without you, and I truly appreciate your support. Other than that, let us to our latest A.B. Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth.
1: I wish I could make you see this brightness. Don't worry, all is well. All is so perfectly, damnably well. I understand now that boundaries between noise and sound are conventions. All boundaries are conventions waiting to be transcended. one may transcend any convention if only one can first conceive of doing so. moments like this, I can feel your heart beating as clearly as I feel my own. And I know that separation is an illusion. My life extends far beyond the limitations of me
0: welcome everybody to a M. by to ab live yes the adventures of johnny meatzak here we are in the desert of the real my name is still miguel connor I am your pompadus of pompadous of Gnosis, and I hope you can and you can sense that uh smell of colitas rising up through the air. Welcome everybody. I see everybody going into the chat room. I hope everybody is well. Vance uh, might not make it. He is caught up in his day gig in his Clark Kent personality, but perhaps he'll jump in uh in uh, in a few if we are lucky. So, today a special show it is sort of an astronosis promotion, but it is also a show discussing the mind and its powers and the archons of materiality. Very relevant. And uh, two guests, two friends who are amazing researchers, and it's always a pleasure to have them on. Uh, I guess we'll start with Richard Smoley. Richard, thank you very much for coming back on the show.
3: My pleasure. It's always a,
2: a pleasure to be here.
0: Pleasure all all ours. And with us, too, we've got Mitch Horowitz. Mitch, how are you?
2: All good. Good to be here with you guys.
0: Awesome. Yes, uh, these two individuals, these two gentlemen, will be presenters at the Astronosis Conference in about two weeks already, two weeks from Friday. And uh, they, as always, come with the goods. I believe Mitch is also doing a workshop. I think he's going to be painting kiss faces on every attendee after the show right
2: (laughs) that and phrenology.
0: oh okay okay so you'll even do peter chris right yes yes actually i got a letter
2: from peter chris he was very nice
1: yeah (laughs) quoted him in a
2: book and uh he was super great yeah i dig him he talked about the power of wearing a mask rather than taking one off and i thought it was really interesting
0: all right a little youngian personas mask always yeah. always good good deal good deal well again those of you in the chat room i already see a little contribution by a cult fan thank you if you have questions please super chat them especially without vance it's gonna go wild there and please behave no uh no no witico in the chatico there in the chat room but if you do uh send me your questions i will do my best to get to you so again the uh conference is uh, two weeks from friday and we do have the online tickets now available they are in the uh, show notes if you want to check them out there's still space for physical tickets although there's quite a lot of people we are having an amazing social that friday afterwards uh guests are bringing some baubles and other gifts and we will have stuff for you but the the real gnosis really happens with the presentations the q a and the social events that's where all the amazing energy is exchanged and the insights and all that so uh we want to give a little tease here and maybe talk about the subjects because again richard and mitch are talking kind of similar things the power of the mind non-local Uh, effects and, yeah, where the archons also reside, which is uh, deep in our noggins. So, Richard, why don't you tell us what you will be presenting about, and we'll go from there.
3: Well, I think I was going to talk a little bit about the origins of Gnosticism, which I don't think are very well understood. Uh, And there are things that suggest to me that Gnosticism is not as is often thought, derived from Persian Zoroastrianism or primarily Greek philosophy, but is a response in a sense to the crises of Christianity in the first century AD. And I, what I'm going to say about that is that Christianity, uh, if you look at the New Testament, was highly apocalyptic in nature at its outset. Most scholars agree with that. There was this intense expectation that the world was was going to come to an end very very soon. The first uh, book of the New Testament to be written, First Thessalonians, Paul is Paul is trying to reassure uh, his readers that you know that just because you died before Jesus came back doesn't mean you're, you're going to be lost. The dead in Christ shall rise first. So that couldn't he couldn't have had to deal with that without vivid apocalyptic expectation. And the belief had to do with, I believe, the vanquishing of the wicked powers in the spirit world. And this is a complicated subject. It's not fully understood by me or anybody else. or Nobody else that I've read. But this was a belief, as it says in Luke, Uh, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. There was the sense that these celestial realms had been infested by evil entities and that Christ's death and resurrection broke the power of these entities. And that is why uh, the apocalypse was certain to come and the new world was going to come. Christianity was not a political movement because politics were irrelevant. It was all going to be over soon anyway now this didn't happen and you start to see a transformation even in the book of ephesians which paul did not write although it's close to his thought where he says we struggle against principalities and powers spiritual wickedness in high places suddenly it's not so clear these powers have been broken after all uh and that led to a great crisis in my opinion the mainstream Christian church decided that all these principalities and powers were really servants of God. And you see this in Irenaeus a century later. The Gnostics believed no such thing. They believed these uh, principalities and powers were still in charge. Uh, They were still ruling everything, as seemed to be the case just from day-to-day events. And consequently, the only way of liberating itself from them was on a somewhat individual basis through Gnosis. So that's one aspect of what I'm going to talk about. And um, I I can go into some other things, but that is the beginning.
0: Very cool. Yeah, it does tie in a little bit with, uh, I'm going to give a little uh, talk on just the Archons in general, just to sort of set it up for everybody else, because uh, April is going to be talking about Gnosticism and politics. So that will tie in. I mean, I of course I fall in more of the camp with April. I think Gnosticism is a pre-Christian, uh, pre-Christian phenomenon. Obviously, I think the other argument is just as good, but that's just where I fall. So I think for me, like the idea of the archons was already bubbling in the air with the Book of Enoch, Zoroastrianism, even uh, in Plato, the Demiurge kind of pulls back, and there are some translations where the Demiurge says, I'm going to let the young gods take care of it. And you can actually read it as they screw things up. So there was already a lot of this stuff in the air, you know, and of course you have the book of Daniel where the um, Gabriel shows up and he's like, oh, I've been fighting the prince of Persia. And he's obviously not fighting some king. <laughs> the far, he's fighting this archon that rules or these angels. So there's this idea that uh things were botched up and of course i'm going to mention your book did not god care because like uh, you write the uh, uh, theodicy suddenly became very important to the jews after the babylonian captivity and the philosophers god somebody had to take the blame and the ceo was gonna, not going to take the blame anymore right so of course they're going to blame management and throw them under the bus so that definitely ties in uh with the idea. So it should be interesting to see these things. Uh, And Mitch, tell us about your little talk.
2: Well, uh, the theme of my talk is Archons of Materialism. And I suppose I'll be probing what it means, what it looks like to succeed intellectually and to fail culturally, which is the position that I think the community of people, myself included, uh, are in who care very deeply about parapsychology, for example, a field in which I've developed a very, very deep interest over the past couple of years. I've come to feel that we, as a human community, possess almost a century of really, truly impeccable research into ESP, precognition, telepathy, retrocausality the capacity of the psyche to move among different intersections of time and it's absolutely incredible it's just incredible that we possess this clinically based heavily juried heavily replicated body of statistical evidence Affirming everything that the Gnostics believed, which is in effect that humanity yes, we have a material life and we have an extra physical life. Uh, We owe something to each. And the very fact of the individual having an extra physical life ought to be enough to blow open the mind of what's your character's name? Uh, Johnny Meatsack?
0: Johnny Meatsack, yeah.
2: Johnny Meatsack, you know. I, I mean, If you can prove to Johnny Meatsack that he has an extra physical existence, which is the truth, then that's enough for Johnny to undergo some kind of gnosis, regardless of whether the aperture closes again. We have to expect that the aperture is going to open, the aperture is going to close. I don't think we just pass through a portal and then everything is just fine and I'm neo dodging bullets. Unfortunately, the aperture closes. That's just the way we're built but let it open, let it open. And so one of the reasons I value parapsychology and the incredible body of data it's produced, including in very recent years, is that it does tell us that this stuff is real, that extra physicality is real. And it's funny because I've been working with this data and I've been traversing this neighborhood for a while now. and. Shame on me, it would be the most grotesque form of intellectual hypocrisy if I was flag waving for my team just because they say things that I like. I've surveyed the best of the professional skeptic literature that's out there, and it's just awful. It's spread very thin, it's caustic, uh, it sidesteps complexities, it can't stand up intellectually, and yet they've won. They've won. Uh, You need only visit Wikipedia to make that judgment. Uh, Wikipedia is the most popular reference source in human history. It's the most popular uh, organ of information in human history and will likely remain so for a long time. And um, it's rife. It's rife with uh, complete misinformation on any topic uh, dealing with the extra physical, dealing with parapsychological research. It is an absolute perfect storm of misinformation, and there's not um, a damn thing that I or anybody else can do about it. And and yet, I'm heartened and I'm not distressed because the pushback, uh, the friction, the opposition, some of it unreasonable that parapsychologists have had to deal with. I'm not a parapsychologist because I'm not a clinician. I'm just somebody who crunches this stuff into what I hope is a a good and responsible and reliable public presentation. But those of us who care about parapsychology have, I think, attained a pinnacle of reason, of communicative faculty, of research, of replication that's completely absent among materialist intellects. We've won on the intellectual grounds, and that's not nothing. That is not nothing. We've lost on the cultural grounds. So what does it mean? You know, what does that mean? What do, I, I mean, one could ask, what does that look like? But we know what it looks like because we're living with that tension right now. And I'm not distressed about it because I do feel it's made us better as a thinking community. I know it's made us better because I look at the top intellects. Coming out of parapsychology, and I look at the top intellects coming out of the professional skeptics world, and it's like comparing Cicero to Laurel and Hardy. I mean, there's just no comparison whatsoever. Um, but uh, these guys dominate uh, media, academia, uh, reference sources, and uh, that ain't going to change for a generation. And yet it's weird because they are almost sailing a ghost ship. You know, the, 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 the boards beneath them are airsats boards they're fake uh, boards the sales are 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 empty sales and and yet because of cultural habits and thought habits in our society they have attained dominance and and that's probably not going to change until um, it's certainly not going to change in my lifetime. Oh, maybe, you know, maybe there'll be some changes, but you know, uh, the phone call will be coming any day when those changes (laughs) arrive. But I think for another generation, they have dominance and yet it's an airsets dominance. It's a fake dominance. I think they know that too, to a certain degree, which is why they push back uh, so vociferously and, uh, with such uh, empty causticness and empty humor. Um, they're also not funny. And, um, (laughs) They can't do a Johnny That cartoon. Um, (laughs) I mean it. But that's the weird situation we find ourselves in. So we're up against these archons of disinfo, uh, very frequently people who represent an orthodox position of materialism. um, And we've won. And we've won. But uh, in terms of intellectual stakes. uh, But uh, culturally, uh, we've lost. And it's an interesting um, tension to find ourselves in.
0: That's because culture is collapsing. It's like a WB Yeats poem. You know, the center cannot hold, turning, turning. It's like it's... I have a lot to say. You know, I'm going to go on a rant and agree with you, Mitch. You and I have bitched about this (laughs) online, offline, over Twitter for years now. But Richard, what do you think of this? Uh, Is materiality finally dying and we're getting something else? Something new, perhaps?
3: Well, I guess the short answer is that, how the hell do you think I would know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Crystal ball, tarot, I don't know, crystals.
3: (laughs) Well, I I could throw a lot of things in here. I mean, I I agree with Mitch about everything he's just said. Uh, You know, the mainstream intelligentsia uh, has been remarkably disingenuous about uh, parapsychology. And um, I, I would hold up not Wikipedia, but the New York Times as a uh, glaring example of this, as well as the, um, that dreadful um, piece of boredom known as the New York Review of Books um, huh. yeah. and, and uh, the usual suspects. Let me throw something really weird into this, um, because although I agree with this, let me, there is this idea of secret brotherhoods. I mean, these are not like masons or reptile beings, but beings on kind of higher planes who are at least attempting uh, to kind of govern what's going on. And it would seem that, let's just accept this as a hypothesis, all right, that some of these seem to be pushing toward greater human um, understanding of its own internal capacities. But what if some, some aren't? And I'm going to read something. This is from a book called um, The People of the Secret by Ernest Scott. who's a pupil of Idris Shah, the Sufi. Uh, He quotes one adept, Since we have prescience as well, it can be stated that the necessary effort and ingenuity to accomplish the art of telepathy will not be marshaled during the entire foreseeable period of generations in which this power could be a significant aid to humanity. Now this is starting to sound very Archon-like, you know. You, so mm-hmm. you have this dark brotherhood mm-hmm. that's actually attempting to impede uh, humans' knowledge of its uh, humanity's knowledge of its great capacities. Um, but and this is actually from my editorial inquest, uh, which is the summer issue, which I'm reading in proof form now. But let's say that there are two of these brotherhoods. Um, Let's not draw too many conclusions about which one is good and which one is evil. Let's look at them as functions on an engine. Because an automobile has to have a, a gas, a pedal to go forward, but also has to have a brake. And it could be that these two things, should they exist, and I'm leaving that question completely open, are serving both as you know, forces that advance and forces that impede. And another point, which I think is of interest, is like, well, it's like they think we don't have the capacity to, uh, you know, uh, handle the powers of our own mind. Well, is it clear at this point that we have the capacity uh, to handle nuclear power wisely? What about the power of the mind, which is, uh, by comparison, infinite? Are we, do do you really want to know what everybody's thinking? Do you want everybody to know what you're thinking? Do you want to know what's going to happen next? Maybe you do? Maybe you don't, so assuming that there are these powers, and I'm speaking purely hypothetically and conjecturally here, it may be that there is some question about the degree to which we can actually handle the truth
2: yes i I really, really affirm that, and I agree with that and I think that that our unwillingness to stand naked in front of that fact is what impedes us as a seeking community. You know, I'm always having people say to me, well, another of the things I'm interested in is mind causation or new thought. And I approach it very critically, but with an ingenuousness. And people typically say to me, well, if all this you know, positive mind stuff is true, then why is there this war? Why is there this disaster? And it's like, we're so deeply divorced from ourselves. Do you want to know what I've been thinking about for the past 45 minutes? It would be fucking ghastly. And if I shared it, I'd get immediately judged by people who have been thinking worse things. What, why on earth do we think that we are beings, I speak of myself, um, who have it in good for, you know, my neighbor? I, I, I mean, I I'm ashamed to say that, but my God, can we sustain 30 seconds of self-observation and realize the fantasies that we have about ourselves, you know, even momentarily?
3: I would I would add one thing. I I, I agree with everything you say, but there's another factor here. Uh and the thing is, people are are enormously uh conflicted and contradictory in their thoughts, as is humanity. So um if you actually Take the world, the world as we have it—you know, um, AI, um, smartphones, the uh, war in Ukraine—take it all together. You would have to assume that it would it, that if it was the, the consequence of thoughts, it would be the consequence of thoughts and tensions that were fairly evenly mixed between good yes. and bad. That's all we have. Yeah. So it says the mind is powerful. It is reflecting our thoughts. It's just that, uh, you know, uh, no, people aren't are going around visiting, uh, visioning sweetness and light. They're, they're visioning all sorts of things, as you just said.
2: Mm-hmm. And yet we get, and Richard has made this point. Uh, he's made this point in connection with, with the work of Madame H. Plovanski and how the intellectual culture has never been able to understand her, which is that uh, we are conflicted beings and yet we are supposed to confront things with this take it or leave it thinking with this absolutist thinking which is impossible to use if we're going to navigate through the world reasonably
1: yes there's
2: there's
3: an old esoteric maxim which i often quote which is neither accept nor reject and if you actually try to operate intellectually uh from that premise well life gets a lot easier Mm -hmm. because you know, to be frank with you both, and I, I doubt this will come as a shock to you. Um, we we just don't know the answer to most things, you know. Um, you know, I personally don't know the, the answer to most things. Um, you know, um I can get along with people mostly. Do I know the answer to what should be done in Ukraine? Well, I think I do. I have lots of people telling me what I think I should do, but I have no idea really. I have no idea what the situation is or what would be the best outcome. And I certainly know that um, every outcome has itself both good and and bad effects. Like the world wars were horrific. But you know what? they did break the backs of the colonial empires that had been oppressing a large chunk of humanity for the previous couple of hundred years. So yes, they were bad, but the consequences mm. were not entirely bad. And I think that's true of all things, however good or however evil in the world as we know it.
0: Oh, well said gentlemen. Yeah. Pretty intense stuff. I mean, uh, I agree with you. I think one of the things I believed, like Richard was saying, uh, neither reject nor accept. I think we need to get over this either or linear thinking. Time is linear nonsense, because that is not the truth. That is not even scientific. It's just not reality. And if we keep living in the society that if I just add a little bit more and take a little bit more, it'll fix my, you know, if I vote more, or I kill 100 million cows, or I tax this, we're going to fix the environment and the wars. And it's like, that ain't working. We need to transform our thinking, which is something Mitch and I have talked about to that ancient hermetic Gnostic thinking of the mind and where it's more holistic. And again, more things are, are accepted. I mean, just talking about how our intellectuals are failing. Well, that's because What's that movie coming out this year, Oppenheimer? And mm-hmm. Jeff Kripal has written a lot about these men who cha- and women who change history in the 20th and 19th century. They were steeped in mysticism. Oh, yeah. They were steeped in Hermeticism, Eastern Taoism. And then when you looked at the Renaissance, Haram, Baghdad, Greece, Alex, if the best of humanity is when we en- embrace this hermetic mind religion, don't you? I mean, I would say that's what I'm advocating here.
2: You know, uh, I'm reminded as you're speaking of something that was said by the deceased uh, John Mack, the uh, uh, psychologist at at Harvard who worked for many, many years with people who claimed uh, cases of UFO abduction or some kind of abduction. And um, Mack made the wildly heterodox point that threatened his career that according to the psychiatric he was a psychiatrist according to the psychiatric tools uh, he used in his work uh, these um, witnesses or experiencers rather were telling the truth if you want a different answer go to a different clinician but if you're going to go to a a shrink who specializes in uh, trauma experience uh, they were telling the truth and so for this uh, statement Uh, Mac almost lost his uh, job at Harvard, gotten out of trouble, was investigated by uh, an administrative and faculty committee that was really gunning for him, and he survived. Um, But he made the observation that we here in uh, the West are prepared to accept um, extra physical theses, provided they are channeled through uh, very narrow accepted organs. So you can have a school of theology, no problem. At Harvard, you got a school of theology. We got a chapel on campus, all good. But if you have a, 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 a professor of psychiatry saying that uh, abductees are telling me the truth according to the tools of my trade, you can't have that. And Max said that we will not accept any uh, spiritual, religious, or extra physical premise in our society. We will not accept it. You'll be stripped of job, livelihood, reputation. If in any way it's relevant to the actual functional world that we occupy each day, if it changes anything, so that encompasses ESP, that encompasses Gnosis, that encompasses the experience or thesis anything that violates our standard newtonian framework isaac newton i should of course note as you gentlemen know was an alchemist cared very deeply about mysticism as did most pioneers of world-class science oh. Oh, yeah. but unless we stick to uh theories that are considered to be as as plain as arithmetic and rejecting of everything else that's violative even though we do that all the time in the physical sciences quantum mechanics, relativity don't match up. Well, they get a pass because nothing that actually encroaches upon our day-to-day physicality that's said to go beyond cognition, motor skill, and Newtonian mechanics. It's not permitted. It's not allowed. You'll lose life and livelihood. And Max said, you know, that, that was my sin. That's why I very nearly lost my skin.
3: Well, you know, how far have we really advanced? Because, as we all know, throughout much of its history, Western civilization was oppressed by the Catholic Church and its dogmas, which um, are, in many, if not most, if not all cases, really rather ridiculous. Um, but you know, and it had to be enforced by a) the power of the state and b) the fear that if you didn't believe this nonsense, you were going to go to hell. Um, and this obviously created a great deal of discomfort. Well, the church's power is broken uh, largely compared to what it was 500 years ago. But now we have the same power uh, uh, oppressing us of materialism. Mm. And uh, again, all methods and measures are being borne on us to accept it including the pressures of the state the pressures of commerce the pressures of the intellectual world it's not really all that different from europe in 1500 it's just a different set of ridiculous dogmas that um is being imposed upon us
0: meet the new boss same as the old boss or yeah. meet the same archon same as the old archon
3: <laughs> i think that's
2: a t-shirt you know i think
0: <laughs> yeah it's tough at the same time um uh and this, let me know your thoughts, gentlemen. The truth is, yes, the mind is is unlimited power. The science is there. We look at figures throughout history who could do these things, change reality. Uh, It's all there, coded. At the same time, as uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of Donald Hoffman, his work, completely scientific, but he tells us, Through science, he tells us that reality is false, that space time are complete jokes, not jokes, but they are tricks that our mind has created to survive evolution. We can't be looking at the other dimensions because then we won't go hunt or get shelter or anything. So our minds, the primary directive of our mind is to fool us, to hide us from reality. In other words, our mind is our, the Kunda buffer of uh, Mm Gurdjieff, right? mm -hmm. We need not to see reality for what it is or else we will not have food in our tummies and we won't procreate. So even in our in um, the event, and as Renosa Sarah Elkaldi, she does a great job of how the Archons really work as tricksters, but the Aeons work as tricksters because they really are working together to make sure that we are fed, we don't see reality and everything else. So... What do you say to this? How can we be prepared to see reality, even if scientific we're lying to ourselves? We really are, as you know, Richard once very wisely said, Hermes is the god of the mind and the tricks. That's on purpose because our mind is the greatest archon and aeon at the same time. It's a hard mm-hmm. one.
3: Well, I just want to think about Donald Hoffman because I wasn't intending to mention him in my talk at the conference um again his case against reality is a very uh, profound and convincing book um, but i think in a way it falls short in that all of this darwinian stuff that he's positing that ha- has limited the idea is that we ha- have limited our perceptions just to what we need to know to survive in a darwinian yeah. sense well the thing about it though is uh we're st- this theory itself is based on Darwinism. It's based on a scientific worldview. So it doesn't go far enough uh, because the very scientific findings he's talking about and they're all talking about are the creation of this very, very narrow uh, physicalistic worldview. So you have to go even beyond that. Which well, That's is what he says, Richard.
0: He says the tools we have right now are not going to work for the next step. We can't see reality for what it is With the tools that science has right now.
2: Mm. Now, some people have argued to me, including Jeff Kreipel, who's a friend of all of us, that when it comes to uh, ESP or parapsychology, the lab model is exhausted for some of the reasons that you guys were just enunciating. We're using physicalist methods to argue an extra physicalist point of view and, and you're going to, you're going to butt heads. You can't, as I suppose, maybe it was Richard Feynman who said it, but a lot of people uh, probably have said some version of it. You can't get out of a problem using the same methods that you did to get into it. Granted at the same time, I can tell you, I mean, I wrestle with this. I really, really, really wrestle with this because Jeff, for example, has made the case to me, Mitch, you're too attached to this laboratory model. Um, you need to get out of the German lab and you need to get into the Irish
0: woods. (laughs) Love it. uh,
2: Until you do that, you know, you're stuck in a very limited paradigm. And I dig that and I honor it. At the same time, for example, uh, there was a study in precognition that came out of Cornell University in 2011. We're 10 years on. It's been crunched. It's been meta-analyzed. It proved that precognition exists. If you don't like that, throw out our whole scientific model and start over. Because according to our model, precog exists, which means retrocausality exists, and it, it, it just it throws open the floodgates to everything. Well, that came out of a lab. That came out of a lab, and it's extraordinary. We need more. We need experience. We need testimony. We need things that I can't conceive of, but I'm personally not able to let go of that model yet because I find extraordinary things are coming out or things that sometimes make a positive difference in terms of my search.
0: Well, look at Dean Radin, Ian Stevenson. They're still doing the work and they're coming with the scientific data that's supporting your ideas. It's absolutely
2: mind-blowing, you know. And the rap, of course, on BEM is that he's wrong. His work hasn't been replicated. Well, it's been vastly replicated. It was proven replicable in a meta-analysis of 90 experiments, including the originals in 33 different labs in 14 different nations. How many pharmaceuticals do you think have those numbers in the back of them? Not many. Um, so it's real, you know, as far as we understand real to be within our Western paradigm. While we're making advances like that, I'm still attached to that paradigm, I find.
3: Well, I certainly think it's legitimate as far as it goes. But let's look at uh, the crazy life in the attic of uh, Western <laughs> thought, which is causation and causality. Yeah. The most famous and revolutionary philosophic uh, upheaval took place in the 18th century when David Hume said, well, you know, I don't see causation as a quality inherent in anything. I see it as a relation, and that is a relation inferred from a constant conjunction of events. And that's still basically true. Um, And then Kant came in and and said that uh, Hume's thing uh, shattered, woke him from his dogmatic slumber, he famously said, and Kant said that causation is one of the categories by which we perceive and organize the world, by which, and I may mention this um, in my talk, you could say that causation itself is one of the archons.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, once you, once you think about that, uh, causation, the, our concept of causation is part of the prison. You know, um, if you don't find that uh, mind-blowing, um, well, uh, I guess you're a little different from me.
2: And I want to add two things to that. It's mind-blowing to me because I frequently speak in terms of thought causation. I frequently speak nowadays in terms of retro causality. I'm in my thought habits. My thought habits, I, like the rest of our culture, are very attached to causation. But, yes, that could be an archon. And I'm so glad you brought up David Hume because – I love the work of David Hume. I've read David Hume very carefully, and I'm astonished. I mean, this speaks to my naivete, but so be it. I'm astonished when I find our intellectual high priests like Steven Pinker, a clinical psychologist at Harvard, who thinks of himself as a big David Hume for, uh, fan. He gets Hume wrong. He actually gets Hume wrong, and it's super simple. You know, He says you should read David Hume because he'll teach you why miracles aren't real. Hume says no such thing. He says that the weight of evidence tilts towards miracles only when the counterarguments become more fantastic than the claim miracle itself. He says no such thing about miracles not being real. And yet, you know, Pinker's the one with tenure, you know, we're just a bunch of schnooks sitting around, you know, (laughs) holding an Archons conference, but this is what it means to be intellectually successful when the war intellectually lose it culturally. One thing I want to
3: add to that about, um, you know, tenure at Harvard because you uh, pointed out the case of John Mack, yep. uh, you know, you and I are are basically loose cannons blowing our mouths <laughs> off. We have the freedom to say anything we want and anything we think. If we had tenure at Harvard or any other, or God help us, we're trying to get tenure at Harvard, any such oh. institution, we would be, um, well, in mental slavery. I mean, not necessarily, you know, certainly to the, uh norms and prejudices of the discipline that we're now in right so we actually you know are you know uh, us outliers we outliers have an enormous amount of freedom that that's one well i never wanted to become a professor um you know it, it always sounded kind of dreadful um you know i mean i agree you know, stay as far away as you can from all likely causes of alcoholism <laughs> <laughs>
0: Agree. Oh, dear. <laughs> Here's another uh, quick question, or uh, that I wanted to ask you guys. I think, I think our other mistake, and we're talking about these archons, causality, casual, and other materialism, and basically that are sending Western culture down into fragmentation, mm-hmm. disintegration. As we are, just no imagination. We seem to be stuck. Things are fun. again. W. B. Yeats, the Second Coming. I think one of the great mistakes we've made in the twentieth century that I think we're not gonna if we don't correct it, we're not gonna survive. and that is the idea we circle the wagons around the concept of the individual, which itself is a it's a complete fiction, and this is supported by the ancients again. You had, you know, the Egyptians and the seven souls, the Gnostics and the Hermetics with the levels of reality, Plato and the levels of the soul, the Buddhists and the Skandas. Over and over, the Egyptians and other mystics had no problem with Mitch being legion or Miguel being legion or Richard being legion or sort of, you know, this storm trying to figure out reality. But in Western culture, we got so wrapped up in the individual, that the individual is going batshit crazy and being very dysfunctional. What do you guys think of this? I know that's hard because, like you said, uh cause and effect and linear time. We're so invested in this stuff in Western culture that saying something like that, uh, that'll get you also kicked out or mocked.
2: Mm-hmm. Well,
3: you know, a lot of this thing about being an individual is kind of functioning as a coherent, uh, you know, predictable entity in a culture. Now, uh, many cultures do not have this concept of individuality, but we do. And so we're expected to behave in this way as individuals uh, in this more or less coherent and predictable way. Uh, at a time, it's becoming less and less possible. When social norms are eroding, the point where you know, um, you know, it used to be pretty obvious who was a man and who was a woman. Now it just isn't anymore. I'm not saying it should be, but I'm saying it makes matters a lot more complex and confusing. And the idea of being be acting as a coherent individual in the midst of all this becomes more di- difficult
2: and maddening. Hmm. It's it's so complicated because Gurdjieff used to point out the fact that humanity was getting in in worse and worse shape. We were descending the octave. Uh, The traditionalists, even though they despise Gurjee, said something very, very similar. Um, A lot of great esoteric thinkers have said something similar. And again, we get into this kind of conflictual situation where there have been these enormous trade-offs. They're based on what we understand about history, including recent history. There's lots of stuff uh, that is better today if we want to talk in terms of the brutality of life, the longevity of life, uh, diseases, and so forth. Uh, There are advancements that I suspect an individual uh, wouldn't want to give up uh, unless you know, he or she were getting into heavy dorm room conversation and then they would just order dominoes, you know. Um, <laughs> there are things that we wouldn't want to give up. You know, um, Jacob Needleman, who died recently, uh, made a very important point about Rene Ganon, the great traditionalist thinker. And and ironically, um, Jerry in the early 70s was one of the people who, through an anthology of his called Sword of Gnosis, helped to bring attention to the traditionalist thinkers. And um, he said that the question he would have wanted to ask Inan is, and he meant this very ingenuously, this was not one of these fake dopey Twitter questions, this was not laden with sarcasm or uh, some sort of rhetorical setup or something, he meant it sincerely. He would have wanted to ask Inan, look, have you ever thought of something that could deliver us uh, as a seeking community uh, to the insights of antiquity without disassembling uh, life in in the twentieth century is it absolutely necessary that we damn and disassemble twentieth century existence and I haven't the slightest idea what Ganon would have said, uh, you know, because he would talk out of both sides of his mouth about this in a certain sense, you know he could sort of intone that well, we're talking about uh, um, uh, yuga cycles that are so vast, uh, uh, y- your suppositions don't make any sense. And and then at, at the same time, though, he could also revert to talking about things uh, m- much more near term, apropos of his first books, which were screeds against theosophy and materialism. So it's not that he was unwilling to engage the near term, and he would sometimes, I think, defer to it as a way of deflecting questions. But I would like to have seen Jerry be able to ask in on that that question. I think that's important. I
3: once had a funny conversation with Jerry about traditionalism. I said, you know, uh, all right, this is all according to them part of this uh, cycle. So why are you getting so uh, upset about it? At the modern world—it's like getting mad because it's November. And he said, <laughs> well. It's because everyone's going around saying it's May. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Which was a clever yeah. retort, I thought. It is. Um, and- um, but, yeah, it's, um, well, the other thing I think uh, that has to be brought into this is, you know, uh, I know, uh, well, you're certainly familiar with the Cabalion, and it's, um, kind of recasting of uh, hermetic thought uh, for the 20th century. And one of the things that it points out is that, you know, there is this law of polarity. There's always this reversal. Everything goes to one side and then it turns into another. You know, the one thing, you know, everything, you know, actions create um, reactions. Roe versus Wade created this enormous anti-abortion upheaval uh the dobbs decision is now doing exactly the opposite so i mean the whole point is you know not to take sides on any of these matters but you know people often get upset because they think the given point the present is like a fixed position when all evidence shows exactly the opposite it's it's all there's always dynamics and dynamics and contradictions and often things that seem very very small end up being very very important things that seem very very important turn out well, you wake up one day and turn out to be nothing so i think that's just a perspective that's helpful to keep in mind without so that we don't upset ourselves too much
0: hmm. yeah. <laughs> at, at the same time like mitch was saying uh the truth is, we do live in a time where, despite what the media tells us, we have the less amount of wars, the less amount of disease, the less amount of poverty. We can go down the list. The problem is that we do have skyrocketing addiction, depression, uh, all the mental disorders. <laughs> so, the the Western psyche is sort of cracking, even though it seems we've gotten leverage over our material world. So, again. It's a decision we have to make or, I mean, if the psyche, cre- you, you guys probably have seen Jung, that thing on Jung, when he's talking about the psyche hands on a thin thread. It <laughs> won't be nuclear bombs that will destroy, the mind will create a nuclear bomb. And and it's true. He even says nature is not a threat. Even natural disasters affect humans less than ever in history. But again, we are going crazy as a collective, so. That's a and social
2: risk. social media is certainly hastening it. Human nature has not changed. I can't say that enough. But uh, social media has certainly hastened all these ugly traits. Uh, sarcasm was never meant to be the lingua franca uh, <laughs> of our culture, and it, and it has become such.
3: Not since the the Parisian salons of the eighteenth uh, century. But um, yeah, that that's certainly true. Um, my point missed me. I uh, I was going to say something, I forgot about it.
1: Should no, we plug no, the?
3: Uh... Uh... Oh yeah, I, I know what I was going to say. Um, well, the the other problem in and uh, maybe the the biggest one underlying about this is materialism in the other sense of the word, that uh, only values uh, of any substance or any concern are material and commercial ones, uh, and. You know, certainly public policy since 1980 has uh, skewed very much in this direction, which is one reason for the labor unrest that I imagine is going to uh, uh, get a lot worse over the, the next 10 years. But just the idea that, you know, materiality is the only thing that counts, consumerism is the only thing that counts there's this thing called fame, um, which uh, something that looks good until you actually get a little bit of it. Um, (laughs) And these values have been, you know, so extolled that uh, and they're so palpably false that that in itself is disorienting and depressing and uh, creating anxiety.
0: Oh, that's for sure. That is for sure. These are definitely some uh, intense times Well, let me talk a little bit about the conference and maybe your upcoming work so we can plug those babies in. Let's see, where are we here? Let me pull it up. I'm sure everybody can see it. But again, yeah, Astronosis, uh, June 23rd and 24th. And uh, yeah, meet the Archons. Uh, We've got uh, a great selection here at the Theosophical Society. Again, you do have, if you want to watch it online, this is just a taste of what we'll be talking about if you're there, I'm sure we'll have great conversations at the q and a and the social and whenever uh we're at the bathroom if we're not snorting coke. I'm uh, just kidding, just kidding and uh, and, and
2: even then we'll talk yeah,
0: <laughs> and even oh we'll talk a lot then Research doesn't stop <laughs> and uh we have some again great guests, but uh whether you're there, you'll be able to have a chance to talk to them or online uh here are our guests. We got there Mitch with his uh, satanic look all red. Sarah again will be talking about the <laughs> tricksters that are the Archons. Richard already gave us a t- taste. April will be talking about uh, politics and the Archons. Chris will give us a little uh, John Keel, Charles Ford interdimensional entity, the Archons. James True will probably t- will take us to uh, ancient Egypt and mythology steven snyder has actually something very specific about 19 where is this talk over here 19 where's steven yeah 1974 the year the archons reveal the time war cool. so you know it's going to be good and i of course will give a little introduction speech and presentation on the archons we have A, Q&A, which is going to be amazing and then the workshop so please get your tickets uh support us and We're very excited if you guys can make it, whether it's online or in person, too. Also coming up, um, I actually bookmarked it, and uh, Richard recently released Seven Games of Life and How to Play It. Richard, you want to give a little summary about your new book?
3: Yeah, well, this has a work of pop philosophy, and it's talking a little bit about the games of life that... Uh, We all play. And by these, I don't mean, of course, uh, checkers or chess, but the games that we have to play. There are six games you have to play. You must play from day one to day last survival, love, power, courage, creativity, and pleasure. You will play those games from day one to day last. See, Maslow. Uh, his famous hierarchy of needs made it sound like grade school. You know, once you had your survival stuff taken care of, then you have – but no, these go on constantly. Sure, uh, you may be a rich man. You may have all the money in the world uh, for the rest of your life and even plenty for your kids to waste. But, you know, you get a call from the doctor and suddenly survival is uh, at the top of your concerns. And this is true of all of these games. The seventh game, which is kind of the metagame, is called the Master Game. Uh, And it's, well, in a sense, investigating the truth behind these games. Um, So that's essentially it.
0: Wow, sounds very cool. Yeah, certainly something very useful for sure. And, uh, yeah, check it out, guys. Also, we have, uh, let's see, let me get Mitch. I've got Mitch in the dog days of summer. August twenty yeah. second. Tell us about your upcoming work. fan yourself
2: with it uh, yeah. a benefit. Um, I'm I'm finishing this book up uh, right now. As a matter of fact, I'll probably go back yes. to it tonight. It's very very personally meaningful to me. It's a it's a history of the occult from late antiquity until roughly the present. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there is a a lineage, intellectual, literary, spiritual uh, that. Unites occult movements, as they were uh, so named and rediscovered during the Renaissance, uh, uh, expanded throughout many parts of our world. Um, I really try to come to grips with uh, what unites uh, Cleopatra to uh, Eliphas Levi to Madame H.P. Blavatsky to um, Michael Aquino to Aleister Crowley to Anton LaVey uh, to Jack Parsons uh, to Charles Fort. Uh, and many, many, many people in between and beyond. And I think there really is a family tree there. There's an intellectual story there. There's a story of search, a story of striving. And it does connect us to our late ancient ancestors by a very thin and frayed thread, very frayed to be sure, broken in many parts to be sure. But that thread uh, is there, and this book is my attempt to find it. And uh, I think also it just tells stories of human striving that any seeker will be able to relate to.
0: Awesome. And what it goes all the way to the present. Yeah, What is going on pretty, today? Pretty, pretty damn
2: close. Uh, well, I'm particularly interested myself, apropos of some of what we've been discussing. I'm really interested in a convergence that's occurring between, I would say, um, those of us who abide the UFO thesis and those of us who are very interested in Gnostic and occult theses. I used to see... Uh, The UFO thesis is uh, related to but very different from uh, the occult, and I'm starting to see those differences narrow as we're talking about uh, interdimensionality, extra physicality, uh, the realization that we're not all it is, and that uh, what's beyond us may be beyond us in uh, an unseen, uh, a frequently unseen, but sometimes seen world that's entirely as real as our own, and, and vast uh, beyond our capacity to fathom. And uh, it winks at us sometimes. So I think those conversations are converging. And that's the point at which I close the book
0: very cool well, it should be a good one i mean uh and uh what do you uh <clears throat> what about the real quick the ideas of ai that so uh, that's have i mean i have a lot of people God. sending they're doing magic work with ai yeah you know, they're trying to train i to be a wizard and doing spells and they're having and you have to do it and that's well, what do you think and i'm like you know when prometheus brought fire from the gods it was a double-edged sword when the when the watchers brought all makeup and technology to the ancient Hebrews, it was a mixed bag. I mean, it depends on what uh, side of the technology Metallurgy, you right, end yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, which side you are. Jewelry,
2: swords, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it so typifies our culture and a lot that we've been talking about that there's no consensus definition of what intelligence even is. Consciousness, awareness, Right. you know we're like blind men describing an elephant but we're sure we're creating something called ai i know it's very powerful i know it's changing life i know it's going to do all kinds of things that we can only just begin to guess at at this point but the very fact that we uh triumphantly name it artificial intelligence as if we even know what intelligence is uh speaks to the tough spot that we're in
3: yeah, as for me um i think it's still very much an open question whether ai is this latest fire brought down from heaven by the new Prometheus, or just the latest um, equivalent of the hula hoop and yo yo?
2: Exactly. <laughs> is it is it Promethean fire or pet rock? You pet know? Rocks, <laughs> yeah, just, just yeah, that's you know, the question. Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Oh, because, yeah, VR has turned out to be Pet Rocks. Uh, there's a lot of things. But, again, yeah, we are kind of broken down. But these are tools. Aggregors can be created. Uh, yeah. Philip K. Dick is always in the background warning us, you know. And he's rare, he was rarely wrong with his prediction. So I tend to side with Philip K. Dick on how things are going to go. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely interesting times.
3: The most fascinating thing about Dick you know, and the thing that makes him such a such vital character is he kept constantly pitching back and forth between what if what if I'm crazy and what if I'm not? And if you mm-hmm. read like his exegesis, he goes goes back and forth uh, page sure. by page. And that, um, well, it's a very dynamic place to be. Probably wasn't much fun.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He certainly. uh yeah, his work is uh, definitely more important than ever. I think uh, very prophetic. And these are the strange times we live in. And sometimes, just a quick anecdote, guys, but I use Grammarly. Sometimes I'm working on this book, this Elvis book, to help me. You know, it's a spell checker, and it's kind of AI. And so I'm writing this chapter on, uh, believe it or not, Philip K. Dick and Elvis Presley had very parallel lives. They had same really? experiences. Huh. They had same mystical experiences, same philosophies, uh, blow by blow. They were this, they were so similar. So I go on this thing about, I'm writing about how their big Achilles heel was that they both thought that pharmaceutical and doctor drugs were fine. And they were both just popping amphetamines in the sixties because they were workaholics and anything from the doctor was good, but street drugs were bad, evil. In fact, both Dick and Elvis supplicated to the Nixon administration to crack down on those evil drug addicts and Mm. you know but they were fine with their own pharmaceuticals from their doctors Mm -hmm. so I said something and I wrote it's terrible that these you know their lives were cut short and destroyed because they had these terrible blind spots and it corrected me and told me that blind spot is offensive so I'm being corrected by AI about (laughs) It said, this might be offensive. Don't use the term blind. But I said, oh, I'm going to write, well, they were off the reservation when they were drugged up. Or like
2: that. <laughs> now you have to disinvite yourself from your own conference, Miguel. You have to, <laughs> I can't write books. You have to start yeah. a petition against
0: yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> so. I actually wrote an article. I think it has gone up online, which I actually did use the term old people.
0: Oh, he corrected me that one on too, Richard. Uh, I get you know.
3: I, I am sixty six years old. I'm full retirement age. If I want to use the expression "old people," I bloody well will. But let me let me just say one last thing. I, I think it is important that you know these things about these conferences. That um, you know, as Miguel suggested, is, I mean, really the best thing about them is inevitably the other people there. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in a vast country where you know you just don't get together with people who are like-minded from a thousand miles away very often. And I've always found that the great benefit of all these things is simply a live interaction and meeting people, uh, you know, having drinks and, and so on. Um, I just throw that in there. I'm yep. looking forward to it very much.
2: Likewise. And Miguel and I met years ago at a conference at Rice and we've been friends ever since. Uh, it's about relationships. That's it what is. a conference is.
0: That's what makes us human. We do, we need those connections. That's where the magic is. That's where the real gnosis will happen, because we'll, somebody will have a revelation, or there'll be a discussion while drinking beer outside, and suddenly, Eureka, the old yeah. Greek Eureka. So that's where it is, and it's unforgettable, and you just walk away just uh, feeling energized and more hopeful about humanity. So,
2: And Richard, I admired his work enormously. I emailed him. It turns out that we were both living now in ex marriages uh, in the Hudson Valley area of New York, and uh, <laughs> the ended the friendship endured. So.
3: That's right. That's right. Actually, I wasn't married at that point. I, I do have, uh, I, you know, I do have uh, well two notches of ex on the ex wife handle, but uh, I'm happily married a third time. So, but that was I wasn't married at that. Oh, point. I see. Oh, okay, like, it was just an ex girlfriend. If, if that doesn't screw up your... Uh, when I kept saying
2: Mrs. Smoley, that's why I got... <laughs> okay, God, God, God. Right.
3: Well, anyway, you'll meet the real Mrs. Smoley very soon.
2: Uh,
0: oh, yeah. God, yeah, yeah. God Mitch, you in your blind spots. You are a job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a,
2: I'm crazy. I'm
0: off the reservation. Yeah. You're I, off yeah. the reservation. This video will be pulled down. YouTube's going to pull this video down. Exactly. Down. You're <laughs> off YouTube. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crazy times. All right, well, it's been a really amazing conversation. Uh, Sorry, I couldn't get to any of your questions in the chat room. Uh, Again, with Vance not here, I just had to uh, be here in this certain virtual studio. But yeah, please join us for Astronosis. Uh, This is just a taste, it's gonna be amazing. Any questions, just uh, contact me. Show notes are there for the links and uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Well, Richard, as always, thank you very much for coming on the show pleasure. And Mitch, always good to talk to you, man. Detroit Rock City, man.
2: Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see you guys. Looking forward to it. Me too.
3: I'm looking forward to it very much. See you in a couple of weeks. And everyone else who's out there too, I hope.
2: Join
0: us, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll see yeah. you then, and everybody have a good rest of your Tuesday, your Mars Day, your uh, Taco Tuesday, probably. as you like to put it. So. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> yeah. it's probably politically <laughs> incorrect too. Exactly. You yeah, can't even say that. Yeah. I think now it's you're something, I video
3: little, too. something to do with President business, but that's nice, <laughs> so. anyway. All right. Well, see you all very soon. And it was yep. a real, uh, very enjoyable.
2: Likewise. All right. Likewise. Good night.